Chapter 7 of The God of All Comfort. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sławek Księżycki. The God of All Comfort by Hannah Whittle Smith. Chapter 7 The Lord is Good. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Have you ever asked yourself what you honestly think of God down at the bottom of your heart, whether you believe him to be a good God or a bad God? I dare say the question will shock you, and you will be horrified at the suggestion that you could by any possibility think that God is a bad God. But before you have finished this chapter, I suspect some of you will be forced to acknowledge that, unconsciously perhaps, but nonetheless truly, you have, by your doubts and your upbraiding, attributed to him a character that you would be horrified to have attributed to yourself. I shall never forget the hour when I first discovered that God was really good. I had of course always known that the Bible said he was good, but I had thought it only meant he was religiously good, and it had never dawned on me that it meant he was actually and practically good with the same kind of goodness he has commanded us to have. The expression, the goodness of God, had seemed to me nothing more than a sort of heavenly statement which I could not be expected to understand. And then one day I came in my reading of the Bible across the words, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and suddenly they meant something. The Lord is good, I repeated to myself. What does it mean to be good? What but this, the living up to the best and highest that one knows? To be good is exactly the opposite of being bad. To be bad is to know the right and not to do it, but to be good is to do the best we know. And I saw that since God is omniscient, he must know what is the best and highest good of all, and that therefore his goodness must necessarily be beyond question. I can never express what this meant to me. I had such a view of the real actual goodness of God that I saw nothing could possibly go wrong under his care and it seemed to me that no one could ever be anxious again. And over and over, when appearance had been against him, and when I have been tempted to question whether he had not been unkind, or neglectful, or indifferent, I have been brought up short by the words, The Lord is good. And I have seen that it was simply unthinkable that a God who was good could have done the bad things I had imagined. You shrink with horror, perhaps, from the suggestion that you could under any circumstances, even in the secret depths of your heart, attribute to God what was bad. And yet you do not hesitate to accuse him of doing things, which, if one of your friends should do them, you would look upon as most dishonorable and unkind. For instance, Christians get into trouble, all looks dark, and they have no sense of the Lord's presence. They begin to question whether the Lord has not forsaken them, 
and sometimes even accuse him of indifference and neglect and they never realize that these accusations are tantamount to saying that the lord does not keep his promises and does not treat them as kindly and honorable as they expect all their human friends to treat them if one of our human friends should forsake us because we were in trouble we would consider such a friend as very far from being good how is it then that we can even for one moment accuse our lord of such actions now dear friend if the lord is good not pious only but really good it must be because he always under every circumstance acts up to the highest ideal of that which he himself has taught us is goodness goodness in him must mean just as it does with us the living up to the best and highest he knows practically then it means that he will not neglect any of his duties toward us and that he will always treat us in the best possible way this may sound like a platitude and you may exclaim why tell us this for it is what we all believe but do you if you did would it be possible for you ever to think he was neglectful or indifferent or unkind or self-absorbed or inconsiderate do not put on a righteous air and say oh but i never do accuse him of any such things i would not dare to do you not have you never laid to his charge things you would scorn to do yourselves how was it when the last grievous disappointment came did you not feel as if the lord had been unkind in permitting such a thing to come upon you when you were trying so hard to serve him do you never look upon his will as a tyrannical and arbitrary will that must be submitted to or curse but that could not by any possibility be loved does it never seem to you a hard thing to say thy will be done but could it seem hard if you really believed that the lord is good and that he always does that which is good the lord jesus took great care to tell us that he was a good shepherd because he knew how often appearances would be against him and how tempted we should be to question his goodness i am a good shepherd he says in effect not a bad one bad shepherds neglect and forsake their sheep but i am a good shepherd and never neglect nor forsake my sheep i give my life for the sheep his ideal of goodness in a shepherd was that the shepherd must protect the sheep entrusted to his care even at the cost of his own life and he came up to his own ideal now can we not see that if we really believe that he is good not in some mysterious religious way but in this common sense human way we shall be brought out into a large place of peace and comfort at once if i am a sheep and the lord is a good shepherd in the ordinary common sense definition of good how utterly secure i am how sure i may be of the best of care in every respect how safe i am for time and for eternity let us be honest with ourselves have we never in our secret hearts accused the lord of the characteristics that he has told us in ezekiel are the marks of a bad shepherd 
have we not thought that he cared for his own comfort or glory more than he cared for ours have we not complained that he has not strengthened us when we were weak or bound up our broken hearts or sought for us when we were lost have we not even actually looked upon our diseased and helpless and lost condition as a reason why he would not any longer have anything to do with us in what does this differ from if we should say out plump and plain the lord is a bad shepherd and does not fulfill his duties to his sheep you shrink in horror perhaps at this translation of your inward murmurings and complainings but what else i ask you can they in all honesty mean it is of vital importance now and then to drag out our secret thoughts and feelings about the lord into the full light of the holy spirit that we may see what our attitude about him really is it is fatally easy to get into a habit of wrong thoughts about god thoughts which will insensibly separate us from him by a wide gulf on doubt and unbelief more than anything else more even than sin wrong thoughts about god sap the foundations of our spiritual life and grieve his heart of love we can understand this from ourselves nothing grieves us so much as to have our friends misjudge and misunderstand us and attribute to us motives with scorn and nothing i believe so grieves the lord it is in fact idolatry for what is idolatry but creating and worshipping a false god and what are we doing but this very thing when we allow ourselves to misjudge him and attribute to him actions and feelings that are unkind and untrustworthy it is called in the bible a speaking against god yeah they speak against god they said can god furnish a table in the wilderness this seemed a very innocent question to ask but god had promised to supply all their needs in the wilderness and to ask this question implied a secret want of confidence in his ability to do as he had promised and it was therefore in spite of its innocent appearance a real speaking against him a good god could not have led his people into the wilderness and then have failed to furnish a table for them and to question whether he was able to do it was to imply that he was not good in the same way we are sometimes sorely tempted to ask a similar question circumstances often seem to make it so impossible for god to supply our needs that we find ourselves tempted over and over to speak against him by asking if he can often as he has done it before we seem unable to believe he can do it again and in our hearts we limit him because we do not believe his word or trust in his goodness if our faith were what it ought to be no circumstances however untoward could make us limit the power of god to supply our needs the god who can make circumstances can surely control circumstances and can even in the wilderness furnish a table for all who trust in him there are many similar questions to be found in the bible each one throwing doubts upon the goodness of God, and each one, I am afraid, is a duplicate of questions 
asked by God's children now. Is God among us or not? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Is God's mercy clean gone forever? Hath God in anger shut up his tender mercies? Do God's promises fail forevermore? O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why hast thou made me thus? Let us consider these questions for a little, and see whether we can find any counterparts to them in our own secret questionings. Is God among us or not? He has declared to us in unmistakable terms, as he did to the children of Israel, that he is always with us and will never forsake us. And yet, when trouble comes, we begin, as they did, to doubt his word and to question whether he really can be there. Moses called this, when the Israelites did it, tempting the Lord, and it deserves the same condemnation when we do it. No one can ask such a question without casting a doubt upon the truthfulness and trustworthiness of the Lord. And to ask it is, if we only knew it, to insult him and to libel his character. I know that is, alas, a common question even among God's own children, and I know also that many of them think it is only true humility to ask it and that for such unworthy creatures as they feel themselves to be, it would be the height of presumption to be sure of his presence with them. But what about his own word in this matter? He has declared to us in every possible way that he is with us, and will never leave us nor forsake us, and dare we make him a liar by questioning the truth of his word? A good God cannot lie, and we must give up forever asking such a question as this. The Lord is with us as truly as we are with ourselves, and we have simply just got to believe that He is, no matter what the seemings may be. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? To ask this question is to speak against Him as grievously as it would be to ask a good mother if she had forgotten her child. And yet the Lord himself says, Can a woman forget her sucking child? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Those of us who are mothers know very well how grieved and insulted we should feel if anyone should suggest the possibility of our forgetting our children. And we mothers, at least, if no one else does, should be able to understand how such questioning must grieve the Lord. Is God's mercy clean gone forever? Hath God in anger shut up his tender mercies? To ask these two questions of a good God is to insult him. It would be as impossible for his tender mercies to be shut up toward us, or for his mercy to go from us forever, as it would be for the tender mercies of a mother come to an end. The psalmist says, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. In the very nature of things this must be, because he is a good God and cannot do otherwise. Do God's promises fail forevermore? There come times in every Christian's life when we are tempted to ask this question. 
everything seems to be going wrong and all God's promises seem to have failed. But if we remember that the Lord is good, we shall see that he would cease to be good if such a thing could be. A man who breaks his promises is looked upon as a dishonorable and untrustworthy man, and a God who could break his, if one could imagine such a thing, would be dishonorable and untrustworthy also. And to ask such a question is to cast a stigma on his goodness that may well be characterized as speaking against God. No matter how affairs may look, we may be sure of this, that because God is good, no promise of His has ever failed or can ever fail. Heaven and earth may pass away, but His word never. O God, why hast Thou cast us off forever? It will be impossible for a good God to cast us off as it would be for a good mother to cast off her child. We may be in trouble and darkness, and may feel as if we were cast off and forsaken, but our feelings have nothing to do with the facts, and the fact is that God is good, and He could not do it. The Good Shepherd does not cast off the sheep that is lost, and take no further care of it, but He goes out to seek for it, and He seeks until He finds it. To suspect him of casting us off forever is to wound and grieve his faithful love, just as it would wound a good mother's heart if she should be supposed capable of casting off her child. Let that child have wandered as far as it may. The thing is impossible in either case, but far more impossible in the case of God than even in the case of the best mother that ever lived. Why hast thou made me thus? This is a question we are very apt to ask. There is, I imagine, hardly one of us who has not been tempted at one time or another to reply against God in reference to the matter of our own personal makeup. We do not like our peculiar temperaments or our special characteristics, and we long to be like someone else who has, we think, greater gifts or appearances or of talent. We are discontented with our makeup both inward and outward, and we feel sure that all our failures are because of our unfortunate temperaments, and we are inclined to blame our Creator for having made us thus. I remember vividly a time in my life when I was tempted to be very rebellious about my own makeup. I was a plain-spoken, energetic sort of an individual trying to be a good Christian, but with no special air of piety about me. But I had a sister who was so saintly in her looks, and had such a pious manner that she seemed to be the embodiment of piety. And I felt sure I could be a great deal better Christian if only I could get her saintly looks and manner. But all my struggles to get them were useless. My natural temperament was far too energetic and outspoken for any appearances of saintliness, and many a time I said upbraidingly in my heart to God, Why hast thou made me thus? But one day I came across a sentence in an old mystic book, 
that seemed to open my eyes. It was as follows. Be content to be what thy God has made thee. And it flashed on me that it really was a fact that God had made me, and that he must know the sort of creature he wanted me to be, and that if he had made me a potato vine, I must be satisfied to grow potatoes, and must not want to be a rose bush and grow roses. And if he had fashioned me for humble tasks, I must be content to let others do the grander work. We are God's workmanship, and God is good. Therefore his workmanship must be good also, and we may securely trust that before he is done with us, he will make out of us something that will be to his glory, no matter how unlike this we may as yet feel ourselves to be. The psalmist seemed to delight in repeating over and over again this blessed refrain. For the Lord is good. It would be worthwhile for you to take your concordances and see how often he says it. And he exhorted everyone to join him in saying it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, was his earnest cry. We must join our voices to his. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. But we must not say it with our lips only and then by our actions give the lie to our words. We must say it with our whole being, with thought, word, and action, so that people will see we really mean it, and will be convinced that it is a tremendous fact. A great many things in God's divine providences do not look like goodness to the eye of sense. And in reading the Psalms we wonder, perhaps, how the psalmist could say, after some of the things he records, For his mercy endureth forever. But faith sits down before mysteries such as these, and says, The Lord is good, therefore all that he does must be good, no matter how it looks, and I can wait for his explanations. A housekeeping illustration has often helped me here. If I have a friend whom I know to be a good housekeeper, I do not trouble over the fact that at house cleaning time things in her house may seem to be more or less upset. Carpets up and furniture shrouded in coverings and even perhaps painting and decorating making some rooms uninhabitable. I say to myself, my friend is a good housekeeper and although things look so uncomfortable now, all this upset is only because she means in the end to make it far more comfortable than ever it was before. This world is God's housekeeping, and although things at present look grievously upset, yet since we know that he is good, and therefore must be a good housekeeper, we may be perfectly sure that all this present upset is only to bring about in the end a far better state of things that could have been without it. I dare say we have all felt at times as though we could have done God's housekeeping better than he does it himself. But when we realize that God is good, we can feel this no longer. And it comforts me enormously when the world seems to me to be going all wrong, just to say to myself, it is not my housekeeping, but it is the Lord's, 
and the Lord is good, therefore his housekeeping must be good too, and it is foolish for me to trouble. A deeply taught Christian was asked by a despairing child of God, Does not the world look to you like a wreck? Yes, was the reply, in a tone of cheerful confidence. Yes, like the wreck of a bursting seed. Any of us who have watched the first sproutings of an oak tree from the heart of a decaying acorn will understand what this means. Before the acorn can bring forth the oak, it must become itself a wreck. No plant ever came from any but a wrecked seed. Our Lord uses this fact to teach us the meaning of His processes with us. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. The whole explanation of the apparent wreckage of the world at large, or of our personal lives in particular, is here set forth. And, looked at in this light, we can understand how it is that the Lord can be good and yet can permit the existence of sorrow and wrong in the world He has created and in the lives of the human being He loves. It is His very goodness that compels Him to permit it, for He knows that only through such apparent wreckage can the fruition of His glorious purposes for us be brought to pass. And we whose hearts also long for that fruition will, if we understand His ways, be able to praise Him for all His goodness, even when things seem hardest and most mysterious. The Apostle tells us that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of a good God cannot help being good. In fact, it must be perfect. And when we come to know this, we always find it acceptable. That is, we come to love it. I am convinced that all trouble about submitting to the will of God would disappear if once we could see clearly that His will is good. We struggle and struggle in vain to submit to a will that we do not believe to be good. But when we see that it is really good, we submit to it with delight. We want to be accomplished. Our hearts spring out to meet it. I worship thee, sweet will of God, and all thy ways adore. And every day I live I seem to love thee more and more. I love to kiss each print where thou has set thine unseen feet. I cannot fear thee, blessed will, thine empire is so sweet. Space fails me to tell all that I might of the infinite goodness of the Lord. Each one must taste and see for himself. And if he will but do it honestly and faithfully, the words of the psalmist will become true of him. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. End of chapter 7 Recording by Sławek Księżycki